0: You probably heard some of these phrases growing up a time or two, maybe from a parent or grandparent, possibly a teacher, but most likely mom said something right along these lines. If you don't have anything nice to say, then don't say anything at all. Anyone have a couple of those? (laughs) Or how about this one as um, you started expanding your vocabulary and weren't using as quality of words? If you keep talking like that, I'm going to m- wash out your mouth with soap. Anyone move from threat to reality on that one? Okay, I got to say, thankfully, I never did, though I probably deserved it a time or two. Uh, or how about this one? It's not so much what you say, but how you say it that matters. Uh, growing up, we quickly learn it's not just about learning to say the right words but if we don't have our emotions and our attitude under control we can still find ourselves in trouble and I don't know about you but for me growing up it felt like I just couldn't win when it came to my words and the emotions and how I said them and uh, could find out that those words and emotions could hold some tremendous consequences. We find out that words matter when it comes to communicating with family, friends, coworkers, authority figures, There's one you'll realize matters when you're talking talking to maybe a boss or a police officer and the conversation isn't going how you intended and then you realize that the next word you choose and the way you choose to deliver it could have a tremendous impact on how your future is about to turn out. And maybe here's uh, one more phrase for that one. I got caught with my foot in my mouth. Words matter. What we say matters. Uh, Jesus, is recorded in Matthew 12, verse 36, is saying this, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Words matter. Part of the tension of coming up here and teaching and speaking is realizing that words hold weight. The way they are conveyed matters, the truthfulness of statements especially those pertaining to Scripture, matters. And as we get into James chapter 3 today, we're going to see a warning about teaching, because when we teach, we use words. And we're going to see a warning as Christians about how we use our our mouths and the words that we have, the power for them to create or destroy. In chapter 3, it can be easy for us to think that James is somehow moved on from the points he was making in chapters 1 and 2, that somehow this letter is just comprised of broken up or fragmented pieces of advice and wisdom. And though you could take some of the advice from James and apply it into various situations, I believe this whole letter is connected to this idea of a faith in Jesus Christ that produces fruit, a faith in Jesus Christ that produces fruit. James is saying if you have faith and wisdom given you by, to you by God, there should be evidence of that playing out in your life, in the way that you treat people, in the attitude you have, in the things you do, the way you live your life, and at what we're, what we're looking at today, the words you use and choose. <clears throat> and so, so we should be speaking and teaching with care. Uh, Hi, my name is David Bessenbacher. Uh, You can often find me out at the Connections booth. just welcoming new people into Dallas Church. I also help with the Saturday morning men's uh, Bible study. Uh, Today, I'm just going to be teaching a little bit and sharing from what I've learned from James chapter 3. And before we jump into that, let's just take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, we're just so grateful to be gathered here together to lift up the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. We're thankful for the Spirit of Jesus on this place. We're thankful that the Spirit transforms attitudes, minds, hearts, and even the very words that come out of our mouths. May our hearts and our words glorify you. May they build up and lift up the people around us. And when they don't, may we be quick to churn and ask for forgiveness. Lord, we thank you in all you do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible or device, go ahead and find James chapter 3. We'll just start out here with verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. All right, let's just hang out there just for a moment because this looks like it could be one of those random pieces of advice that James just throws in there. But let's look at it through the lens of a faith in Jesus Christ that produces fruit. And what James has already been talking about in this letter up to this point in chapters 1 and 2. If you remember, in chapter 2, James was talking about showing no partiality as you hold your faith in Jesus Christ. And a couple weeks ago, Pastor Ben did a great job showing that there should be no partiality between the rich and the poor, that we should be treating anyone who comes comes in equally. Uh, Now, this word teacher here, it could be just used when it's translated from the Greek as just kind of... A teacher, a common teacher, maybe kind of what I'm doing up here. Uh, And we should be weary of just letting anybody stand up on a platform and um, sprout out their ideas. Uh, But for what I'm doing and what we're doing for the next five weeks, it would be kind of odd that we bench Pastor Ben, give you a warning about not being many teachers, and then for the next five weeks we go ahead and just have somebody else teach through (laughs) the rest of James. So it could be, and we, we should heed that warning. Uh, another way this word could be translated out is it could be for a false teacher. <clears throat> now, I don't think that's what James was necessarily talking about here, but we should be weary of false teaching and people leading us down paths intentionally or ininten- unintentionally. If you have an older version of the Bible, say a King James version, uh, you'll notice that that word actually translates out don't be many masters among you. So maybe this idea of of a master teacher, and if we go back to that idea of showing no partiality, remember, Israel and Judaism kind of had this social status where the rich were and then the poor were down here, and then you had kind of these master teachers uh, called rabbis, and then you had the common and disciples and everybody else kind of down here. And the rabbis, they had disciples, and Uh, You were to kind of honor and esteem those rabbis. The common people kind of lifted up the rabbis. Uh, You would, as a disciple, you would listen to the teaching and understanding of the law or the the Torah. Uh, You would hold to their understanding of uh, biblical scripts that we call the Old Testament. And you would kind of emulate and imitate out what the rabbi did. And one of those groups was, if you remember, is the, the Pharisees. And Jesus had a few warnings to give us about them, but they kind of held themselves up <clears throat> excuse me, as the master teachers of the law. So if we look at Matthew 23, Jesus is talking to a crowd. Um, he's, he's also talking to his dis- disciples, and he says this, "...the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach but do not practice." They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the places of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi or master by others. So there's kind of this, I'm up here you're down here, social thing. There's this uh, do what I say, not necessarily what I do. If I do do something, I'm going to make sure everybody knows about it. And so there's a little bit of the perks and binnies going on with, with seats and, and whatnot. And maybe their heart's just not in it right for the common people. Maybe their heart's not in it right for God. And here's what Jesus goes on to say to the, the rest of everyone listening. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. If you're looking at becoming a teacher or preacher, because somehow... You think that elevates your status or your esteem among people, or that somehow it puts you in a better position with God, that because of your knowledge and authority over others, then watch out because you will have to be perfect. For by the measure that you judge, that is how you will be judged. If you've elevated yourself to a place of honor, to esteem, to authority over others, how does that translate out into? how you speak to people, how you treat people, how you're this master expert that you people learn from you, they never, you never learn anything from them. Are you their superior or master in an area? See, we're not here to become expert masters or authoritarians when it comes to our ideas about biblical truth. And it's not about creating a following for ourselves or making disciples for ourselves. If you're doing that, stop it. You're goofed up. Uh, It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about pointing people to Jesus and them becoming his disciples. He is Lord. He is the master teacher. What is your attitudes towards others when it comes to teaching? Are we brothers and sisters in Christ, kind of along the same journey, looking to serve one another, or are you lording your knowledge and understanding a biblical truth and everybody has to come to you for the right answer? I think that's the warning here as we get into this idea of speaking with care and taming the tongue. Uh, so let's continue on here in James, uh, verse 2. I promise I won't take as long <laughs> on uh, the rest of the verses here. Uh, for we all stumble in many ways... Kind of goes from this, what looks like he might be doing this exclusive idea about not being, um, a, becoming a master teacher, to kind of bringing everybody into this inclusive idea, saying, look, if you are going to try to be some kind of master teacher or expert, you're going to have to be perfect. And guess what? None of us is perfect except Jesus. So here's what it's going to look like for you and me we're going to mess it up when it comes to our mouth. And unless we get control of our mouth, it's going to take us in the directions we never intended to go. We can set our whole life ablaze just by the words that we use and say and the attitudes we have towards one another. We cannot be perfect, but we should be aware and we should be growing. Are you aware of your words to unite or divide, to build up or tear down? Are you aware of them to speak life or death? Do you have a handle on them, or are you just letting them run wild? James uses the illustration of the horse and the ship, both powerful on their own. A wild horse can go any direction that it wants to go. A ship on the water, same kind of thing, if not directed by a pilot or or a captain. Both large and powerful and potentially dangerous in their own right. But whoever gets a hold of it and directs it can take it wherever they want it to go. Like the bits in the horse's mouth and the rudder on the ship, whoever gets a hold of our tongue and our attitude can set our course. Now, here's the weird thing that James points out. In one moment, maybe it seems like you could get it under control or tamed, as he puts it. But then in another moment, we're cursing those made in the image of God. We're cursing our brothers and sisters. And I'm sure you've had uh, moments like me where maybe you've sustained a verbal attack. Maybe you got cut off in traffic. Maybe somebody hits you with the shopping cart in Safeway. And you endured something either emotionally or physically where you probably would have been justified responding in kind. And what seemed like An incredible moment of self-control you didn't and you think wow maybe I'm really starting to get this heart thing and this mouth thing under control yay me and then (laughs) in another moment it wasn't even as significant maybe it was even on the same day there was just a little comment from your husband or wife or something the kids did and you lost all emotional control and you just went off verbally. And in the flip side, in that moment, you think, How can I be messing this up so bad? And James tells us, It doesn't seem natural, does it? It doesn't seem natural because everything else in life seems to take one course. Salt water comes out salt water, fresh water comes out fresh water. A grapevine produces grapes, olive trees make olives, uh, but you and me, in one moment, can produce good with our hearts and our minds, and the way we speak, and the way we treat people, and in another moment, we can be spiteful, vile, crude, and condescending. It just doesn't seem natural. And as I was reading this letter, I had to come to the conclusion that I'm the man that James was talking about in chapter 1. I'm the double-minded man, unstable in all of my ways, when it comes to my faith, when it comes to my actions, when it comes to how I treat people, when it comes to my attitude, and when it comes to the very words coming out of my mouth. What am I to do? And if you've come to the same conclusion, what are we to do? Well, let's see what... James says, again, some people think James just kind of left us there and started moving on to something else. Uh, But I think this is where he actually starts bringing these ideas together. I don't think James just made some random statement about we shouldn't be many teachers and then made another statement about hey, you should get your mouth under control, but you really can't, so good luck with that. (laughs) I think this is where he really starts connecting these ideas together in the way we see people, how we use our mouth, our attitudes, and our actions, and how we treat them. And into the closing of chapter 3, and then even into parts of chapter 4, from what we'll hear from uh, Bob Sloan next week. So let's, uh, let's read James 3, the rest of James 3 here, starting in verse 13. Who is wise in understanding among you? I'm probably not going to be raising my hand at that point, after he just explained all that. But uh, by his good conduct... open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So where does faith, wisdom, understanding, good works, a heart that has a proper view of people, a tongue that's under control, where does that come from? It's not from having some special knowledge or teaching or credential. It's not from our own selfish ambition to be the expert or master teacher. It's not from my own willpower or creating some moralism and keeping the law and then presenting my own self-righteousness before God because I can't be perfect and neither can you. True wisdom comes from God and trust in Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God must be involved and present. It is what transforms the heart and tames the tongue. True wisdom comes from God and trust in Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God must be involved and present. It is what transforms the heart and tames the tongue. Uh, Let's take a look at a warning that Jesus gave about being empty of the Spirit. It's in Matthew 12. Uh, I'll start reading it from verse 43. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person... It passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the person is worse than the first. So also it will be with this evil generation. You may work at cleaning up your act. You might work at cleaning up your mouth. You might work on your attitude and having a positive one and pinch yourself and go to a happy place. But if it's void of the Spirit of God, if it's void of the Spirit of Christ, then it can lead to a building of our own self-righteousness, moral authoritarianism, pride, and selfish ambition. And it can only lead down the path that causes confusion, bitterness, and strife in our hearts. If you have to build yourself up to be some moral authoritarian, you're going to have to convince everyone that you're perfect, or at least nearly perfect, more than they'll ever be, and then you'll compete with everyone else doing the same thing. If you put yourself in a position of authority over others and of the truth, then you are the one that has to decide who is righteous or unrighteous, Who people should listen to or not listen to, who is worthy of your time and attention, and if we get down to it, who you think is worthy of God's love. Because only if they'd listen to you and do what you say, it's only through Jesus Christ that we can have a pure heart. It's only through Jesus Christ that we can be peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. It's only in Jesus Christ that we can be impartial and sincere. We can't do it on our own. We can't go down some path of moralism or try and behavior modification in our own self-righteousness because all of that will end in is self-aggrandizement and eventually self-destruction. <clears throat> I think the Apostle Paul uh, was dealing with and addressing similar things uh, when he was planning churches and in his letter to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians uh, Chapter three, starting with verse three, Paul says this: for, are you, "For you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For what one says, "I follow Paul, and another, "I follow Apollos." Are you not being merely human? What then is Apollo's? What is Paul? Servants from whom you believe, as a Lord assigned to each? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. James, Paul, Jesus, I think they were all dealing with similar things. And I don't think the condition of the human heart is any different or any better today. Even the apostles didn't get it. As they're sitting around, the Passover dinner, the night before Jesus goes to the cross, and Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, and they kind of dealt with that for a second. But then right after, they start arguing among themselves who's the greatest among them. And Jesus says, the greatest among you is the servant of all, just like I came to serve. And by the very next morning, he's going to the cross, not just as a sacrifice and offering of sin for them, but for all of mankind. And the Apostle Paul who pushed the message outside of Israel, who wrote a large portion of our New Testament in the letters to those churches, who preached to the common man and king and emperors alike, who pushed for equality among Jew and Gentile, male and female, rich and poor, who was imprisoned, beaten, shipwrecked, and eventually killed for his faith, he effectively said this, And I'm paraphrasing. It's not about me or about what title you give me. It's not about what I do or what I eat or how I choose to celebrate the things of God. If you want to imitate me, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Be imitators of me as I am an imitator of Christ. I didn't want to just come up here and give you the five easy ways to tame your wild tongue. You know, things like, hey guys, be nice to each other listen, ask questions to understand, think before you speak and really some things are just left better unsaid. All great things if done in the right spirit, with the right heart and motive. I think most of us have a degree of manners because there's a certain level of us having to get along and function in society and if we don't, we know that there will be consequences to our lifestyle. However, if you are having trouble with manners, I refer you back to your mom washing your mouth out with soap. However, for the rest of us, and I think more importantly, what James has been telling us in the letter up to this point is all our hope, faith, trust, and love should be in God through Jesus Christ. All good things come from him. There should be no partiality among you. This is an equal and level playing field now. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. How you see people is how you'll treat people. If you're judging people based on their socioeconomic status, if they're higher than you, you treat them one way. If they're lower, you treat them another. Stop doing that, is what he says. And if your love for God and his people will manifest its way out in the things you say and do. And I think so, so important today. And if you don't already realize, and maybe where James has been misunderstood, misapplied, or even misused throughout people and the church throughout history, is that we often tend to put the cart before the horse in issues of law, salvation, works, people, attitude, words. If it's of our own self-ambition, if it's of our own self-righteousness and empty of the Spirit of Christ... It will be earthly and unspiritual at best, and it will be vile and demonic in its worst. And everything, yes, I mean everything, must start and end with our hope, faith, love, and trust in Christ. Because if the Spirit of Christ is in your heart, it will be evident in how you treat people. It will be evident in the attitude you have. It will be evident in the things you do. It will be evident in the words you say. You will have a faith in Jesus Christ that produces abundant fruit. And at the times you act out of character of the new humanity given to you through Christ Jesus, and you slip back into the old ways of the old man, you will quickly turn and ask for forgiveness from God through Jesus, and you will turn to your brothers and sisters that you offended, And you will ask for forgiveness. And you will be willing to forgive those who offend you. And I think the Apostle Paul put it best. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Let's go out and bear the fruits of our beautiful Savior and glorify him in everything that we say and do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are just so thankful for your son Jesus, that he came, that he lived a perfect life that we couldn't live, that he died on the cross, and that he made a way back to you through his sacrifice. Lord, we just ask that if anyone here doesn't know you, that they would open up their hearts and mind to you, that they would let your spirit come in and transform their lives. Lord, we thank you for all you do. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.